Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Day. Well, with all the developments this week, I can tell you several things. Number one, I will not apologize for the sins of others. Number two, I will not apologize for having opinions. Number three, I will not apologize for freely expressing my opinions. Number four, I will never apologize for engaging in debate with others, whether it's politics, sports, culture, any other topic. I will not apologize. I don't feel guilty for the sins of others. Sins of others may be wrong, but if I didn't commit them, there's no guilt on my part. And what we have seen this week, the toppling of not only statues, but toppling of First Amendment freedom of speech, the toppling of being able to discuss various topics in a rational way, without hysteria, the assault we've seen on history, these are unacceptable. I will not apologize for it. Long ash greetings and salutations. A long ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure and screw the anarchists. That is right. Screw the anarchists. Screw those anarchists that have overtaken a part of East Seattle. Screw those people that would like to restrict freedom of speech. Screw those people that would like to revise history. Screw those people that would like to assault uh, uh, just thought in general. And screw those people that would like to turn America into an anarchist nation. I'm not afraid to express my opinion. If you like it, great. You don't, no problem. But I can tell you that in no way, shape, or form will I ever alter who I am, what am I about, what I am about, or my opinions, or my ability to express those opinions. And we will have more this hour. We'll also be joined next hour by Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America. He had a fantastic op-ed piece he wrote about Las Vegas, that Las Vegas is under attack by the enemies of pleasure, those that would like to take away our right to enjoy a cigar. In Las Vegas and in the casinos, he'll be joined. We'll be joined by him in the second hour. Don't forget, as always, go to cigardave.com, upper right hand corner. Make sure that you follow me on social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And I ask you right now if you are not subscribing to our podcasts, make sure you go right now to your favorite podcast aggregator, whether it is Apple, whether it is Google, whether it is Spotify, it is iHeart, Stitcher. Make sure you do a search for Cigar Dave and subscribe to our podcasts. There are, after this show, two terrestrial radio shows left of the Cigar Dave show. We ended after a 25-year run. We will be going exclusively 
to a daily podcast, short to medium form podcast, actually as long as I want. Could be three minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. Just depends on the topics at hand. I have no restrictions on time. So that will start on July 1st. So in the meantime, get prepared. Go to Cigar Dave and make sure you subscribe. And next week, we will have our Bold Alpha, several editions of our Bold Alpha podcast up and running. And you can subscribe to that as well. So all cigar connoisseur-related content will be on the Cigar Dave podcast. All alpha male lifestyle pleasure maneuvers will be on the Bold Alpha podcast. So we have two shows remaining after this, so we will make them all count. As always, your global five-star general alpha male-in-chief from Command Center Alpha, I am unafraid to speak the truth. I am unhindered to speak the truth. Some may like it. Some may find it offensive. I don't care. I've always believed in the engagement of debate, the engagement of good conversation, back and forth. As long as it is done so respectfully and it is not done so in out of a spirit of, uh, of meanness, if you will. And the problem today is too many of the wussified Americans that we see today, these protesters today, they can protest. I have no problem with that. But all of a sudden, those people who believe in the right to protest, the right to assembly, the right to free speech, all of a sudden they have a problem when you engage your right to free speech to disagree with them. It's okay for them, but not okay for you. We see this all the time. The hypocrisy, the climate change movement. It's okay for them to travel in private aircraft. It's okay for them to live in huge houses burning all sorts of fossil fuel. It's okay for them to have umpteen dozen cars, but it's not okay for you to put your air conditioning on in your home to 68. So we see the hypocrisy all over the place. And the hypocrisy that we are seeing with these protesters today is running rampant. So I have a ton of thoughts that I would like to get to. I have no problem. And I stated clearly on this show two weeks when we saw the murder of George Floyd, I said, there are bad cops. They've got to be weeded out. What, what took place is unacceptable. End of discussion. This country was more united on any one topic than I think I've ever seen in maybe 20, 30 years. Well, I shouldn't say that. 9-11, Americans were united as well. That dissipated, of course. But when they saw what happened to George Floyd, the murder, that officer Chauvin with his his uh, knee on George Floyd's neck for eight and a half minutes, unacceptable. Period. End of discussion. No debate. The entire nation, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, every religion, were in agreement. The entire country said what took place is wrong. We could have worked together and said, great, this is a perfect opportunity for us to work together. Let's try to find out why is... You know, there's, there's many reasons why we still see poverty in the inner city, why we see poverty in black communities. We talked about the people said, well, the Chinese Wuhan virus, it uh, affected disproportionately black and lower income Americans. I don't disagree with that. Well, let's look at why. Let's change that. Let's get an effective dialogue, reasonable dialogue. Let's get everybody together. You had Democrats, Republicans, conservative, liberals. Everybody was on the same page. And then people came out to protest. And it quickly, quickly went from peaceful protesting to the right to 
riot, loot, destroy people's property, injure people. Unacceptable. Now, people say, well, for the most part, they were peaceful. Well, that's the same analogy that was used in World War II. Well, most Germans didn't want to see what Adolf Hitler did. But yet they condoned it. So many protesters, yes, were peaceful, but it rapidly, rapidly disintegrated into rioting and looting. Now, if you really want to address the problem of systemic racism, if you really want to address the problem of poverty in the inner cities and the black community, then engage in a dialogue. Get people of all ages together. But that's not what many protesters wanted. They wanted an excuse to lash out. They wanted an excuse to engage in rioting and criminal behavior. Dangerous behavior. Unacceptable. And I realize people are going to say, well, wait, you can't say that today. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. In my my estimation, I can. As far as I'm concerned, if we are afraid to express our opinions, rational opinions, then this country is in big trouble. Bigger trouble than whether you agree or disagree with a presidential candidate. The founding of this country on the Constitution, First Amendment for all. That means if blacks want to protest, fine. If whites want to protest, fine. If Asians want to protest something, fine. Hispanics, fine. A religious group wants to protest, fine. Nobody has an issue with that. What people have an issue is using a protest as an excuse to get violent and destroy people and property. That is unacceptable. Freedom of speech. And I get a kick today. We see people saying, hey, freedom of speech. We have the right to assemble, the right to assemble, the peaceful right to assemble, yes. You don't have the right to go in and loot and and, and destroy property. And what I've seen the last several weeks has been absolute desecration of property. Police sitting back, Democrat mayors and governors saying, let them do their thing. What I'm seeing in Seattle right now with this uh, Chaz, what is this, Capitol Hill something zone, whatever they call it, in East Seattle, six blocks where the entire area has been taken over by anarchists. And I love the same people that say we should not have borders with Mexico are building borders around their six-block area. The same people saying you have no right to purchase a weapon, Second Amendment right, They're carrying AK-47s and other weapons right in the middle of Seattle, six-block area, to protect their turf. The same people that are telling you, you can't have freedom of speech, you can't engage your right to have a weapon under the Second Amendment, a firearm, are the ones that are practicing just that. So the hypocrisy is rampant all over the place. But what we are seeing today, the thought police... The, the opinion op-ed police coming out, statues being toppled, books being burned, erasing history, mandatory public demonstrations or submissions, telling people that if you don't get down on a knee and you don't apologize for the sins of others, then you are complicit in race. I will never get on a knee, ever get on a knee and apologize or submit to someone for something I had nothing to do with, ever. We all know slavery was wrong. 
I wasn't born with my people came from ancient Egypt. They were slaves. They built the, the pyramids under Moses. My people were enslaved. So don't tell me about slavery. But when I hear people saying that you, because you are white, you have white privilege, you should apologize for slavery. I don't have to apologize for it because I didn't take part in it. My family wasn't here when slavery was around. Do I acknowledge that slavery was wrong? Absolutely. Does every American, virtually every American, of course. If you are 50 or under, you didn't live in a segregated country. You didn't live where people couldn't go to different schools or couldn't sit at a lunch counter or couldn't ride in a certain part of a bus or a plane or in a restaurant or use a water fountain. That didn't exist. If you are 50 or less, it doesn't exist in the United States. No country has done more to right the wrongs from three, four, five hundred years ago than the United States of America. But I will never submit and get on a knee and say that as, as a white Caucasian person, I apologize for the sins of others. That would be the same way as saying if, if, if somebody, no matter what race, religion, whatever, somebody has a family member who is, who is a, a violent criminal, who is a, a, a murderer or rapist, saying, well, because your relative raped or murdered someone, I'm going to blame you too. You should apologize for them. No, you can't make that uh, extension. You can't make that comparison. But what we are seeing is what Orwell predicted in his book. Here is a perfect quote from 1984. Eight, George Orwell was prescient in his predictions within the book 1984. The only problem was he was like 27 years off, or 37 years off. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Now, you will remember in if you did read the book, if you didn't, you should. Very appropriate for what we are seeing today. In the book, 1984, by George Orwell, they had a ministry of truth. The ministry of truth is playing right before our eyes, my fellow alphas. The ministry of truth. If you don't submit to our version of the truth, if you don't submit to our opinions, if you don't submit to our thought, then you are guilty. You are a racist. You are a hater. We are going to cancel you. You should lose your job. You should lose your family. You should lose your livelihood. Here's another quote from the book. Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Bingo. Right on the money. We are seeing this all over the place. We are seeing now a global Marxist attempt at revolution. Now, when we look at Marxism, people say, well, no, listen, come on. This, we're never going to see Marxism or socialism in this country. We're seeing it. If you think Antifa is anti-fascist, forget it. They're all Marxists is what they are. They are... Anarchy, anarchists, and Marxists combine as one.
So when we look at what Marxism wants, what the whole idea of Marxism, it's actually pretty, but everybody tries to make it very complicated. It is a very, very simple philosophy. Basically, that capitalists are evil, that the working class proletariat will rise up, will, will the wage laborers, they will have a revolution, and that basically everybody in and of itself will submit to a Marxist political economy. Now, we could go on for 10 hours on Marxism, but I will tell you that if you think Marxism or socialism or communism is a great alternative to capitalism, think again. Now, have many people been left behind in capitalism? You bet. How were they left behind? Well, one way, we had all these globalist capitalists that said, let's offsource all our jobs to China. Let's send it to where it's cheap. Let's offshore all our call uh, uh, people that work in call centers, our service centers. Let's send it overseas to where it's cheap, in India or the Philippines or, or China or Vietnam. They took part in that to save a nickel, and that is unacceptable. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So if you want to have a serious discussion, I'm happy to have it. In fact, I'm happy to debate anybody, anytime, anywhere. But now we live in a culture where if you write an op-ed, such as Senator Tom Cotton did, saying, look, there may be cases where you have to call in the National Guard and the military. If you have uh, 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 unstable insurrections. It was printed in the New York Times on the, in the uh, opinion page or opinion pages. Isn't that where differing opinions should be? Now, realize that most all the New York Times opinion editors are liberal. Most all the writers are liberal. But don't they say that, uh, don't they encourage a free flow of ideas? Don't they always hide behind the First Amendment? Rightfully so. Freedom of speech. That's why papers are around. And whenever somebody tries to stifle them, freedom of speech. They trot that out. Yet, when Senator Tom Cotton wants to express his opinion, what happens? All the reporters have a, an insurrection. They complain to management. They say his, his opinion is unacceptable. It should not even be printed. It is offensive. And what ends up happening? The editor of the opinion page, the opinion pages first apologizes, then he is forced to resign. For what? For doing what he is employed to do. Allow people's opinions on an opinion page. Now that's a crime. That is absurd. I mean, we're seeing the absurdity go down to levels that are, are beyond ridiculous. There's a show called The Paw Patrol. It is a kid's cartoon about a squad of canine helpers. It's a pretense for placing household pets in a variety of cool trucks. And one of the pets is Chase, a German shepherd who also happens to be a cop. And in the world of Paw Patrol, Chase is uh, drawn out to be a very good uh, dog who barks stuff like, or, or, or uh, uh, he, he's, he's drawn to people who say, Chase is on the case. And all in a police pup's day, he rescues kittens in his tricked-out SUV. Pretty innocuous, right? Oh, no. 
In the show's official Twitter account, commenters said that black voices need to be heard. Euthanize the police dog. Defend the Paw Patrol. All dogs go to heaven except the class traitors and the Paw Patrol. They're now taking an innocuous kids cartoon. A dog, a German Shepherd cartoon character, mind you, who happens to be a cop. They're now making him out to be evil and he should be canceled. I mean, we're seeing, here's a perfect example of people that have lost their minds. The executive producer of the TV show, Monk, on Twitter, talked about his own show. He said, if you, as I have, worked on a TV show or movie in which police are portrayed as lovable goofballs, you have contributed to the larger acceptance that cops are implicitly the good guys. Huh? Look, they're bad cops. I talked about that several weeks ago. They need to go. No ifs, ands, or buts. You got a bad cop? Boom, get rid of them. There are plenty of good cops. Weed out the bad apples. They know who they are. But we are going to see now that the anarchists in East Seattle with their Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz, that is just the beginning. Just the beginning. The thought police, the speech police, the history police, the pleasure police. It all started with the pleasure police. I said 20 years ago, they're coming after your cigar. But if you think they're done with your cigar, you better think again. They're coming after you. Then I said, they're going to come after your soda. They're going to come after your steaks. They're going to come after any product you enjoy. Well, then they started coming after other products. And now they're coming after your thoughts, your political opinions. They're coming after history. It started with the pleasure police. It is run rampant now. We are now living in an Orwellian society in 2020. When I come back, we'll tell you more reasons, some of the craziness that is taking place. It's amazing. You can loot a store, but you can't shop at a store. Go figure. You need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight.
mighty oak, standing in the face of gale force winds of political correctness. It's the General Cigar Dave. We are living in an Orwellian society in 2020. We're seeing cultural Marxists, anarchists in Seattle. It's the same thing that took place in World War II. You have to remember one thing, that all the European countries surrendered to the Nazi socialists, except one country. That was Britain. Churchill said, no way. The royal family wanted to make a deal with Hitler, not Churchill. And remember, the name of the Nazi party is really the official name, is the Socialist Workers' Party, although they are really Marxists, whereby the workers own the means of production. They believe that capitalists are only there to exploit the working class. And while Hitler was initially a Marxist, he changed to more of a socialist type of mentality when he realized he needed the corporations to his very wicked end goal. Now, I will tell you that today there's an assault on speech, assault on thought, assault on history, and we already knew there's assault on pleasure. Let's give different examples. All right, assault on speech. We just gave you an example, Senator Tom Cotton in the New York Times. He came out with an editorial that said, look, there may be times when it may be worth uh, where you may have to call in the National Guard and the military if uh, things get too volatile. Police are not set up to handle it. What happened? He was excoriated. The New York Times writers who love to hide behind the First Amendment, rightfully so, freedom of speech in this country, yet not freedom of speech for the senator and certainly not freedom of speech for the paper and they ended up getting the editor to resign. Now, that's an assault on a person's livelihood because they disagree. Are we so sensitive in 2020 that if you disagree with someone, then instead of just saying, look, I disagree with you and make your case, then you have to jump up and down like a three-year-old and say, I demand he be fired. I demand we ruin his life. Well, it seems to me that that's exactly where we are that these are three-year-olds, these are softies, this is all the product of the millennial and gen, what is it, the Gen Z generation, going back to just before the turn of the century, before 2000, where everybody's entitled, everybody's a winner, that you can't call out someone, you can't say what you did is wrong. No, 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 you have to just give them a timeout. We've created a bunch of softy pansy asses. Another example on assault on speech. Former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, not a looker, by the way, but there is a professor at the University of Chicago who edits a, a magazine called the Journal of Political Economy. He supports the Black Lives Matter movement, by the way, but he criticized the looting and the riots and calling the defund the police movement ridiculous. Well, Janet Yellen, the former head of the Federal Reserve, said that his comments were troubling. It'd be appropriate for the University of Chicago, that is the publisher of that magazine, to remove him as editor. Now, what happened to freedom of speech? Because all of a sudden you have a contrary view? Now, I find it amazing. The Gone with the Wind was removed from HBO Max. It was removed because of certain stereotypes. 
forgetting the fact that one of the actresses won an Oscar as uh, uh, an actress uh, in the, in her, for her performance. 73% of black people polled Love Gone with the Wind. Now, it's not my favorite movie. I mean, it's, it's certainly a very, people say it's one of the most popular movies ever made. Not my thing. But now all of a sudden, you're going to remove it? Meanwhile, Amazon went into one of the top-selling movies. People figured, you know what? If I can't get it, speech police are coming. I am going to buy it. Is that not absurd? And then HBO came out and said, no, we're going to put it back, but we're going to put uh, more cultural, appropriate, uh, historical connotations and a little disclaimer ahead of time. Do we really need that? I mean, a, uh, a, 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 we're seeing professors at the university level that are making comments, and now students and celebrities are saying they should be fired for their opinions. We're seeing now that Confederate statues need to be removed. That's part of our history, like it or not. Military bases in the South, Fort Bragg, Fort Hood. I never realized they were named after Confederate generals. Never knew. I associate them more with the fact that we've sent some of our best men to World War II, into Afghanistan, Iraq, from these bases. That's what I think of those bases. Nope. Now David Petraeus comes out, former General David Petraeus coming out saying we should change the names, that it's virtue. Basically, we have to rename all these different bases. It's unacceptable. This is the same guy, I remind you, who let his mistress in on all the secrets of the United States with a classified clearance. He's lucky he didn't go to jail. I mean, we're seeing just the ridiculousness. People saying George Washington, Thomas Jefferson statues need to come down. Nancy Pelosi wants 11 Confederate statues removed from the Capitol. Now, if you disagree with Black Lives Matter, not in terms of the concept, but the Black Lives Matter movement, and when I say movement, I mean the organization or loose organization, which does have some militaristic elements to it. So you can on one hand say, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but all of a sudden if I say, hey, all lives matter, I'm a racist, stop, please. You are really insulting yourself. But if you say, look, yeah, black lives matter, of course, there should be an end to racism and, and there should be an end to anti-Semitism. And let's not forget, loads of anti-Semitism, nobody says boo. But all of a sudden, if somebody says, look, I believe in black lives matter, but the rioting and the looting that some people in uh, black lives matter are doing, it's unacceptable. Well, now all of a sudden, you're called a racist. Country group Lady Antebellum changes their name to Lady A. Have you ever heard of something so stupid that now all of a sudden in this movement that just the name could offend people, could put them in a safe space? Now, as far as I know, Lady Antebellum never had any racist songs. They're pretty popular amongst white and blacks. Country music's not my thing, but my understanding is they're pretty popular. I mean, I even know of them. I've heard a few of their songs. They're well-regarded, well-liked, sell a lot of records. They get a lot of airplay on radio stations. But now they're changing their name to Lady A with members saying they're regretful and embarrassed for not taking into consideration the words associations with slavery. Antebellum just means before war. That's what antebellum means. So in this case, before civil war. That doesn't mean that they encouraged slavery. It doesn't mean this group believed in slavery. 
but now you got to change your name? How absurd, how ridiculous, how stupid does everybody look? This craze that all of a sudden you got to give money. We're saying, companies are saying we're going to give money to solve the racist problem. Here's a better idea. We don't even know where this is going to go. Is it going to go to Al Sharpton? Good luck. What I said on a Twitter tweet when, or on a tweet when Google came out and said they're going to donate $37 million to fight racism. Fine, that's a noble effort. My reply was, better than just spending the $37 million, why don't you take that $37 million and why don't you commit to opening 37 charter schools in inner-city black areas? And then go get other well-heeled and well-financed, well-capitalized, successful Silicon Valley companies. Get them to each contribute $37 million. Get five, six, eight of those companies. And the next thing you know, you got six, eight million to open up a charter school. A school where black kids can get properly educated, can get a, a chance with a great education to go to, co high, to, go to college, high school, then college become successful. Oh, and along the way, they may become Republican. And that's really the rub, that they would think for themselves and they would vote Republican. And that's the big, scary secret. That's what the Democrats and the unions don't want to take place. 92% of black families that have been surveyed want the ability with a school voucher to send their children to a good school. Yet, who opposes it? The Republicans? No, they want it. Democrats and the unions. There's another fact. We have a big uh, role model problem, not only in the black community, but for males in general. We've talked about this. The wussification of the American boy, the American male. It is not just in the black community. It is the entire uh, uh, male youth population in this country. When you have over 50% of marriages ending in divorce, when you have 70% of black kids born out of wedlock, when you don't have male role models, at the, by the age of 11, a mother's job is done pretty much. It's time for the father to take over, teach his son how to be a man, how to go from being a boy into young adulthood into manlyhood. We don't have that. So when you see boys, black and white of any race, that don't have direction, that don't have a mentor, that don't teach them how to be alpha males and productive males, members of society, you got a problem. Nobody wants to talk about that. Again, I'll talk about it here because I'll talk about truth. Now, I may be branded a racist for talking about it, but if you are truly interested, if, if Al Sharpton and other black leaders are truly interested in solving the problem, which is what everybody says they want, Let's end racism. Let's end, let's end poverty in the black communities. We've been fighting it for 50, 60 years with social programs that don't work. If you truly want to fix the problem, then acknowledge the problem first, and then you can solve it. So we have not only black youth, but we have all of American youth, American males, American boys that don't have role models, male role models. They don't have mentors. That's number one. Number two. They're sent to terrible schools. In the inner cities, the schools are substandard. When schools rave, public schools rave that, hey, we're pleased to report that our graduation rate now went from 64% to 69%. In my book, that's still an F. That's a failure. It should be 
Black parents want to send their kids to great schools. Republicans want vouchers. Again, let's look at who's against it. So as we wrap this up, in all these Democrat-led states and, 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 and cities, what we've seen the last few weeks must be acknowledged. They said we had to stay at home. We cannot spread the Chinese Wuhan virus disease to others. We have to protect others. You can't, go to, you can't have funerals more than 10 people. You can't have weddings more than 10 people. You have to stay at home. You can't go to certain stores. You can't get a haircut. But yet all of a sudden, when people want to protest, that's acceptable. In L.A., they had 50,000 people gathered in one giant street, packed together. That was okay. But yet Gavin Newsom, Democrat mayor, uh, go go Democrat governor of California, no, nope, we, we can't open businesses. We can't have people going, get, uh, going to the beach. We can't, can't have barbers and salons open up. Last couple of weeks, we saw churches being burned, synagogues being defaced and vandalized. But yet, you can't go to church and you can't go to a synagogue. We saw stores being looted. Billions of dollars of destruction. Not only products being taken, the inner, uh, innards of the stores being, being uh, destroyed, set on fire, hurting the people in those communities that rely on them. In fact, many black and Hispanic communities. And one thing that I did think was enlightening, there were a group of about 20 black I would say they were between the ages of 20 and maybe early 30s. And I can't remember what city, may have been in New York somewhere, where people wanted to go in and start looting and destroying a target. And they all stood in front and said, no way. We shop here. This is our store. You're only going to hurt us. And they stood their ground. Good for them. Good for them. So let's acknowledge the people that are standing up for the right things. So you can loot stores, but you can't shop at stores. You can destroy businesses but you can't go and run your own business. You can break the law because when it comes to huge gatherings of protesting, rioting, and looting, the police, the governors, the mayors won't enforce the law. Yet, Governor Gretchen Wilmer trying to throw a 77-year-old barber in jail because he said, look, this is my livelihood. I'm opening up. What is wrong with that picture? Oh, and she's the same governor who, by the way, went out and kneeled with everybody for apologizing for slavery and, and, and her white supremacy, her white privilege, and was caught without a mask. She did have a mask most of the time, but was caught in pictures without a mask next to people. There was no six-foot separation. Yet, when 200 people sing, they want to demonstrate, they go into the state capitol and say, we want to open up our businesses because they happen to be Republicans or conservatives, all of a sudden they're guilty. But when thousands do it, she'll join them. Toppling statues, burning books, changing history, mandatory submission. I'm sorry. The Democrats, the liberals, the uh, Antifa, the fascists in this country, the anarchists have become the Taliban. You can't think for yourself. You can't speak for yourself. You can't speak the truth. You can't speak your opinion. It is an assault on American freedom and the American Constitution. I'm not apologizing for the sins of others that I had nothing to do with. I'm not getting on a knee to apologize and submit for sins and the wrongdoings of others I had nothing to do with. 
I'm all for racial equality. I'm all for freedom of speech. I'm all for letting kids, no matter what group they're in, to be able to get a great education and succeed. I'm also for truth. And if you want to change things, you have to first acknowledge the problem by speaking truth. I'm speaking truth. I'm unafraid. There are two more weeks, two more editions of the Terrestrial Radio Cigar Dave Show. Hey, maybe that's good. Because maybe there are some that are saying, oh, General, you can't say that. Well, in two weeks, I won't have that problem. I'll say whatever I damn well feel. And I think I did that today. Some may agree, some may disagree. I'm happy to hear from you. I'm happy to engage in a reasonable debate. That's good. Now we, have, we live in a society where, oh, debate is terrible. Don't debate. Terrible. Shouldn't do that. It's offensive. No. Debate is healthy. It's rational. If we would go back, if we would go back to the days of smoke-filled rooms in Congress, in Washington, in state legislatures, we would get a lot of problems solved. I always say the biggest, you go to any cigar lounge or cigar store, you've got whites, blacks, you've got people of every socioeconomic status, every religion. Everybody gets along. Everybody gets along. We debate. We solve the problems of the day. We joke. We laugh. We're friends over a cigar. It's that simple. So you want to engage in debate? That's how it should be. You want to hide behind a premise that freedom of speech only for me but not for you? I'm not interested. And I'm not interested in submission. I'm not interested in revising history. Forget it. Dangerous, slippery slope. George Orwell. 1984 is playing out in 2020. The National, correction, International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony is around the corner. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Cigar Day. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The Cigar Dave Officers Club takes pride in featuring cigars that nobody else in the country gets, that you as a member of the Officers Club experience first. And I'm pleased to announce for June that one of the cigars in the Macanudo Inspirado Sampler is a cigar that is being released to you first. The new Macanudo Inspirado Green. It is a medium, robust, full-flavored cigar that features a very delicious tasty, complex Brazilian Arapiraca wrapper with Indonesian binder and Colombian and Dominican fillers. 
The Macanudo Inspirado White, if you want a cigar that tends to be more mild to medium and creamy, perfect. The Macanudo Inspirado Orange, more medium to full in body with a Honduran wrapper. Join the Officers Club today and get fantastic selections like the Macanudo Inspirado Sampler. CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club for $22.95 per month. You get three great cigars shipped directly to you. Join today. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy and Chinese virus sanitation maneuvers performed, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. I've selected a very important cigar today from Gurkha, the Gurkha Nicaragua. And the reason I'm selecting this cigar is to show solidarity with my longtime friend, Kaizad Hensodia, the former chairman of Gurkha Cigars. There was a little controversy this week, some uh, social media postings, and Kaizad is a conservative, and he has always posted conservative things, but nobody has done more for charities quietly than Kaizad. I have been to his office where there are, you name the number of military people of all races, white, black, no difference. Kaizad supports everyone. And so there's a big kerfuffle because of a social media post, and consequently, he was forced to uh, resign as chairman. Well, I'm loyal to people that I'm friendly with, because I know Kaizad, I know his true character. So I'm going to enjoy this Gurkha Nicaragua series. I'm going to cut it right now. I'm going to toast the foot and tell you that it is an all-Nicaraguan puro, a Corojo 99 wrapper, dual Corojo 99 binders, Corojo 99 Criollo 98 fillers, it is a full-flavored cigar. I have selected the Toro. Beautiful cigar. About 10 bucks. There we go. I'm going to puff and rotate. And as I do that, I am imploring you. I'm asking you. Go out this weekend or early next week. And Kaizad doesn't know I'm doing this. Anybody at Gurkha doesn't know. They'd probably kill me if they did. Go out and buy a Gurkha cigar. Kaizad's a friend. Family, friend, been to, when we did the Pleasure Fest in Buffalo, been to my childhood home, no cigar mother, cigar sister. Kaizad is a wonderful guy. He is a mensch. He is a gentleman. And I will tell you right now that when I see some of these bloggers from their basement saying, I'm not going to smoke one of his cigars, boycott it, screw them. I support my friends. I believe in loyalty, which is fleeting today. I don't run. I'm enjoying this Burka Nicaragua with my Florida Kanye, Kanye Nicaraguan rum, go pick up a Gurkha. Whether it is a Gurkha Nicaragua, a Royal Challenge, a Gurkha Real, go pick up a Gurkha. And when you do, you tell them Cigar Day the General sent you. That's what I'm going to do later this afternoon again. All right, Hour 2 of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. Glenn Loop of the Cigar Rights of America will join us around the corner. Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome.
Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. 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 There is an assault on speech. There is an assault on thought. There is an assault on history. And as we all very well know, there has been an assault on pleasure for the last 20 years. Whether it is cigars, whether it is spirits, whether it is steak, it is grilling. Trust me, the enemies of pleasure are coming after you. And the one place, the one bastion of pleasure, freedom, Vegas, Sin City. You want to gamble? Great. Want to have a cigar? Fantastic. Enjoy a steak? Great. Enjoy some hot dames or your harem? Fantastic. What in the world is happening? Well, in Vegas, they're about to come after your cigar. The assault on pleasure never ends. Very Orwellian in every respect. And in just a few moments, few minutes, we'll be joined by Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America. And Glenn had a an op-ed, a column uh, piece that he wrote to all the CRA membership that ended up being picked up by one of the cigar and tobacco trade publications, tobacco business, entitled One Crisis Breeds Another in Las Vegas. Let me read some excerpts before we join Glenn to discuss a very pointed piece. As the premium cigar industry confronts a different day due to the virus pandemic with canceled trade shows as well as local, regional, and national cigar events, once again, our opponents are creeping up behind us to use a national crisis to advance their prohibitionist agenda. It's happening from small communities in Indiana to the southern tip of Louisiana. For the industry, direct uh, for manufacturer to consumer direct interests, however, the new front line in the battle is Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas is the holy ground of cigar freedom in the United States. Making the pilgrimage to Casa Fuente and then the cigar bar and lounge circuit Where you can spend hours with friends, then go to the next one, is for many among the most anticipated times of the year. There are trade shows between the Premium Cigar Association, Tobacco Plus Expo. Thousands of Vegas room nights are occupied, providing direct and significant benefit for restaurants, bars, and performances to a city that has recently been brought to the brink of economic Armageddon. While I really don't enjoy quoting former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, his statement, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that is it's an opportunity to do things you could not be done before. It is exactly what opponents are doing now in Las Vegas and other parts of the country. As Las Vegas has been developing its strategies for reopening, placing restrictions on smoking has been at the forefront of the new wave of thinking. The nonprofit, healthcare organizations, labor unions, and media have been promoting a smoke-free Vegas since the beginning of the crisis and before. When letters to the editor from citizens are quoting CDC and WHO statistics, someone else is behind it. If there's one body of evidence on the detrimental economic impact of smoking bans, it's with the gaming industry. 
Objective studies have been produced by none other than the United States Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis addressing the loss of revenue for Illinois casinos. Producing a report, no ifs, ands, or buts. Illinois casinos lost revenue after smoking banned. Or they stated, as policymakers in Illinois and elsewhere ponder the implications of the Illinois smoking ban, the impact on revenue, attendance, and taxes should not be ignored. The Harris Casino in New Orleans almost immediately lost $70 million and cut hundreds of jobs in the wake of the New Orleans City Council passage of their sweeping smoking ban, making it no accident that the current ban proposal in Shreveport exempts casinos. Then there was the flip-flopping on smoking restrictions in Atlantic City casinos. And the former Trump Casino, now the Majestic Star Casino in Gary, Indiana, noted to their local government that a smoking ban would eliminate 400 jobs. In a letter to the FDA opposing regulations that could harm the premium cigar industry, Trevor Scherer, president of the Mirage Hotel in Vegas, stated that one large cigar event brings in 6.6 million non-gaming economic impact in our community, and that's for one weekend. When CRA awarded former Las Vegas Mayor Oscar Goodman an honorary lifetime membership for his opposition to a local or statewide smoking ban, he told me, telling Glenn, if they pass it, They'll lose their shirts. Let's hope his wife, the current mayor, recognizes that. Now is the time to get in front of a potentially disastrous situation. Now is the time to meet with the American Gaming Association, Nevada Resorts Association, Nevada Gaming Control Board, Las Vegas City Council, and Mayor Carolyn Goodman. Now is the time to meet and communicate with Governor Steve Sisolak and members of the Nevada legislature where such issues will be decided. Now is the time for the CRA, PCA, CAA, and NATO to unify to protect what could be the cigar industry's Alamo. We'll be amassing a library of the economic evidence needed for this effort. CRA will also begin a strategy to have our local and state members reach out to decision makers as this issue continues to crystallize. That is just the beginning, and that, again, is by Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, who now joins us. Glenn, outstanding opinion piece, outstanding uh, column. You hit the nail right on the head. The enemies of pleasure will use any excuse they have to take away our rights to freedom, including enjoying a cigar. No doubt about it, but it sounds so much better when you read it than the way I wrote it. <laughs> well, it's my eloquent delivery and my dulcet tones of my baritone voice, Glenn, no question about it. But you hit, you, you hit it right on the head because what we're seeing now, not just in Vegas, think about this, every Democrat governor and mayor in the country, Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer in Michigan, it's okay to protest, but if you want to go to church or synagogue, forget it. It's okay to protest and loot and ransack. Okay, fine. But if you want to get a haircut, forget it. What they are doing now is using the Chinese Wuhan virus to keep their states locked down, I believe, number one, for political gain in November, but number two, to exercise more autocratic control over their citizens. We are seeing it everywhere now, and Vegas is the last bastion. It is our Alamo. There's no question about it. Well, and as an update, since that article ran is two nights ago, Shreveport fell. And a last-minute motion by a member of Shreveport City Council 
also banned smoking in the casinos. It was not in the original resolution. And in the 11th hour last uh, two nights ago, they, they passed it, and they're going to lose hundreds of jobs and millions of dollars, just like just like New Orleans. But Shreveport, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans are microcosms of what can happen in Las Vegas. And it's not just gaming revenue, as the letter from the president of the Mirage pointed out. It's economic impact of bringing those tourists to the city for major cigar events and trade shows. And they can kiss it goodbye if they go down this path. And it was the labor union, the uh, culinary union that represents the uh, the casino workers in Las Vegas that took this proposition to the gaming commission. And the gaming commission says, well, it's not in our purview, but noted. Well, you know, as well as I do, the unions, the nonprofit healthcare community, and now the media is going to be pouncing and turning their attention to the body that can impact this. And that's the legislature. And frankly, and I don't say this in a partisan context, the Nevada legislature is taking a hard turn to the left And I don't think the industry can rule out some draconian action by the Nevada legislature. And so we need to be focusing our communications to the governor's office and the Nevada legislature that this is unacceptable to this industry that brings millions of dollars, thousands of hotel room nights to that city at a time when it desperately needs it. In the first hour, I quoted uh, a passage from George Orwell's 1984. And specifically talking about thought police and and, and I, the quote was every record has been destroyed or falsified every book rewritten every picture has been repainted every statue and street building has been renamed every date has been altered and the process is continuing day by day minute by minute history has stopped nothing except exists except an endless present in which the party is always right and what we're seeing now is essentially a party that is now deeming, whether it's a Democrat party or other forces, but it is a belief in this country that they have the right, whether it's a party, a group of people, to dictate to everyone else what they should eat, what they should smoke, what they should uh, think, how they should vote. We are seeing huge encroachments on our personal liberties. And I said when this started 20 years ago, if you think the enemies of pleasure are going to stop at your cigar, you better think again. And then what happened? They started going after soda. They started going after sugary drinks. They started going after uh, meat. All the vegans now want you to eat uh, a vegan, you know, no, no more meat in your diet. We're seeing this over and over. And now this is just the next step where it's thought, it's how you should vote. This all began with smoking bans in California, and I said it 20 years ago, it is not going to end at cigars, and even if you don't smoke cigars, you better pay attention. In my wildest dreams, I never thought I would be this correct. Absolutely, and you know as well as I do, caffeine's going to be on the list, and coffee's going to be under attack. It's a drug. Caffeine is a drug. There's no doubt about it. And I said more Americans are addicted to caffeine than any other drug. And if you think they're going to stop at cigars and and your steak uh, and your soda, think again. Mark my words, somewhere along the line, what they'll say is, this is exactly how it's going to happen, Glenn. Mark my words. I was right 20 years ago. I'll be right again. They're going to say that coffee endangers the climate. 
because of all the 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 uh, machinery needed, the farming, the transportation, they will then say that the labor that's being used are being taken advantage of. They will say that uh, it's the equivalent of modern-day slavery. Then they will go after the exorbitant prices being charged, and then they'll say caffeine is a drug. They'll want the FDA to regulate it. It's going to start with the first step, go to second, third, fourth. Mark my words, it may not be in a year, may not be in five years, but it's coming. Well, I think the union on Vegas, I think the union and others in the public health community are going to be putting increasing amounts of pressure on city council. Uh, keep in mind the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority controls the convention center where the TPE show is, is held. Right now, the Sands is the home of, uh, of the Premium Cigar Association show. And I don't think we can rule out any change in the political dynamic at this weird weird juncture in our nation's history. And I just don't think uh, we can take it for granted that city council will hold firm or the state legislature. And that's why we need to pull together this coalition right now. And I mean right now, because every major national uh, cigar and and tobacco uh, interest group has a vested interest in in drawing the line in the sand in Las Vegas. Glenn, what... uh have you seen in other areas, and I know that we're dealing with the FDA now, and we're dealing, obviously, with uh, other issues with the cigar manufacturers, but uh, have there been any other municipalities that you have seen? We've seen that the, the, uh, the federal government raise the smoking age to 21, another encroachment on our freedom, but has there been any other municipalities, states that are now trying to infringe into cigar stores, cigar lounges, trying to go into that space? The question becoming the encroachment of smoking in cigar shops is a threat across the country. It's actually in the playbook for the heart, lung, cancer, and the healthcare groups, the body parts lobby, as I put it, that you ban smoking and have no exemptions for cigar shops. You know, think about this. The Kentucky Derby's postponed until September. You know it's illegal to smoke a cigar in a cigar shop in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if you knew that, but it is. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, and it impacted Churchill Downs. And I think that's just one example. If you can't smoke a cigar at Churchill Downs or a Louisville cigar shop, what's America coming to? And it only takes one bad idea like that for it to spread to a Mayor de Blasio in New York or uh, pick another nanny state part of the country. For years— our mutual friend Joe Arundel, who runs Rain City Cigars in Seattle, has been trying to get his legislature in the state of Washington, which is obviously under attack, to get smoking allowed again in Seattle cigar shops. It's illegal to smoke a cigar in a Seattle cigar shop. You would think a city, especially in this day and age, would have higher priorities than that. So it's something that the community has to be cognizant of. It has to be more diligently watched, and we have to send a message that that is another version of our Alamo with the cigar industry. Uh, They do have uh, more important things in Seattle, and that is turning over uh, part of their, the Capitol Hill uh, zone to uh, Antifa and to the, uh, the anarchists. I've never in my life seen a government city state just turn over, barricade it, build borders around a six block area with with uh, anarchists holding guns and the mayor saying, yeah, we're not going to do anything. The governor's saying, no, we're fine. I've never in my life seen that. I think that tells you all you need to know where the direction of this country is going. But I think there's got to be a tipping point where people look and say, enough is enough. And I think same thing with even people, as I said, 
Many people that listen to the show do not smoke cigars. And I said 20 years ago, if you don't smoke cigars, it may you may think it doesn't affect you, but it will. And now as people wake up saying, wait a minute, the products I enjoy, the places I enjoy going to, the movies or the, the, the political beliefs I have are now being threatened. There's going to be a tipping point. This country always, Glenn, goes from one extreme to the other. I think we're almost at that one extreme where the pendulum is going to swing back violently. And when it does... The enemies of pleasure, the thought police, they're going to be toast. Well, the enemies of pleasure are not through with using the COVID crisis to, to carry out their political agenda. Uh, it was a community in Indiana also that is using COVID as a clandestine measure to get a smoking ban passed in a, in a southern Indiana town. I think this is going to become the beginning, and we're going to be fighting this into early 2021. It's going to continue to pop up, and we look forward to keeping our members through folks like you informed of where those battles are, t- are taking place. Let's talk about the battles going on in Washington, D.C. Glenn, <clears throat> I've said this all along. No matter who the president is, there is a giant bureaucracy, a bureaucratic state, a, a uh, uh, an administrative state that runs Washington. Presidents come and go, but these bureaucrats and administrators stay there forever. Mitch Zellert, Zeller who runs the, what's the official name of the Tobacco Control Division? What's the official name? The Center for Tobacco Products. Center for Tobacco Products. Essentially, we should rename it the Center for Tobacco Prohibition is really what it is. Uh, Give us the latest on what's going on in terms of trying to make sure that premium cigars aren't regulated. I know there was a letter sent by a bipartisan group of Florida congressmen, uh, and I believe maybe even senators, uh, to try to... uh, uh, make sure that premium cigars aren't uh, in, are, are withdrawn from FDA regulation. Where do we stand on those things? It seems we just keep treading water and we're just making barely any progress. Well, I'm glad you brought it up in that context because this whole debate dramatizes how entrenched the bureaucracy is. As hard as President Trump has tried to, quote unquote, drain the swamp, this battle over cigar regulation proves how entrenched they actually are. I'll give you the living, breathing, most current example of that. One of the most expensive propositions of the regulatory process is pre-market approval of new blends and a, what's called the substantial equivalence process. And the simplest way to put it is the cigar you're enjoying right now, if the manufacturer wants to change the wrapper, the binder, or the filler, they'd have to go through an excruciating and, ex- and expensive uh, regulatory process to put that new cigar, quote-unquote, on the market. Well, it's an all-natural product. The only thing you're smoking is what came out of the ground, and the only variables are sunshine and water and age. It's not a uh, a manipulated product from a chemical perspective or from a nicotine perspective, yet if the wrapper, the binder, the filler on that cigar you're smoking right now changes, federal bureaucracy kicks in. Well, there, there was a deadline of May for those reports to the FDA Center for Tobacco Products. The FDA basically compelled the courts to tell them that they could delay it till September. They forced the courts to tell them when, in fact, the Secretary of Health and the Commissioner of the FDA could have granted that in light of the national emergency that we're currently in. It's pathetic. And I'll tell you what, the industry had to spend, now I found out yesterday where it sits, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to fight that in court when they could have granted it back in February and March when the crisis began. And it just dramatizes the the, uh, political agenda at hand, 
when the industry has to go to those extremes to get some regulatory relief. Now, the president's been basically good to this industry in that the regulations haven't gotten any worse. Every time the, the Trump regulatory agenda is issued every year, status quo. Well, that's a good thing, but that doesn't offer the industry any relief. It doesn't offer any predictability, and that's what has to change between now and Election Day, and that's what led up to the letter you referenced. A coalition of a dozen members of the uh, Florida delegation to the United States Congress who are close to the president, each one of those members that signed that letter are close to the president and the administration, and they pled with him to link cigar regulation reform to the executive order that the president signed on May the 19th. The president implored his cabinet and agency heads to find new forms of regulation that can be gotten rid of that, can, that would stand as a barrier to future economic uh, betterment in light of the crisis, he implored them through that executive order to do that. And so we wanted to link cigar regulation to that executive order, and that's what Congressman Posey and, and uh, Congressman Getz and, and uh, 10 other members of the House did in that letter to the president personally and to the White House Budget Office. Well, Glenn, it seems it never ends. No matter uh, what the industry does, no matter how many consumers get together, it just never ends. And you have to wonder, at what point does the federal government, does the FDA say, you know, we've got a major crisis going on with this Chinese Wuhan virus. We need to bring all of our, our pharmaceutical manufacturing back. At what point does the FDA say, let's concentrate on food and drugs and get out of the nonsensical regulation of cigars, a product enjoyed by adults in moderation. Well, that's exactly what the president's former director of the White House Domestic Policy Council said. When the president delivered his uh, last budget, which was DOA with this Congress, but when the president delivered his last budget to the Congress, they proposed exactly that, to basically set up an independent body to get tobacco regulation out of the hands of the Food and Drug Administration. You know, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, several years ago, we had an industry meeting. You were there, as a matter of fact, where uh, we had an FDA uh, lawyer not working for the... I'll tell you what, Glenn, ind- Glenn, ind- hold, hold ind- that thought, Glenn. we got to take it. got to hit a hard break. We'll continue with Glenn Loop from the Cigar Rights of America around the corner. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, 
Quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. At the Cigar Dave Show, there are several things we really like in a Washington bureaucrat. Uh, embalming fluid? A wooden stake through the heart? Well, I guess after those two things, you really don't need the rest. That's about right. Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, rejoins us. Glenn, we left off talking about the FDA. At what point does the FDA look and say, with the Chinese Wuhan virus with the need to bring all of our pharmaceutical manufacturing back into the United States, with the importance of food safety, what point did they say, let's concentrate on food and drugs and get out of regulating cigars? Well, I'm glad you brought it up in that context. As I mentioned, the, the former director of the White House Domestic Policy Council proposed exactly that and said that there's got to be higher priorities at this agency. The problem is the agency itself is not going to say that. Once you give a, a federal agency the power to do something, they're going to do it. It has to come from Congress. It truly has to come from Congress. They're the only ones that can change the law, that can direct the policy, hold hearings, and say you've got higher priorities. I remember an industry meeting that you were at that we had in Miami not too long ago, a couple of years ago, and we had a, an attorney who deals with the FDA consistently tell the cigar manufacturers of this country, quote, the difference between all the other industries that the FDA regulates and you is that they genuinely don't like you. Right. And I think that's what goes to the heart of this question. They genuinely don't like us. It is a prohibitionist agenda, and we shouldn't call it anything but that, a prohibitionist agenda. It's a one-size-fits-all approach trying to apply a cigarette regulatory standard to premium handmade cigars because what? It's easier for the bureaucracy. And that, thank goodness the messaging has gotten through. The delays have gotten through. They've heard the other side of the political story from us. But we've got a long ways to go. But it just goes to prove that once you've got one president's signature on an act like that and it becomes law, it becomes terribly difficult to reverse those tides, especially in the swamp. You know, I get a kick out of uh, sometimes the, the stupidity of the fact that we now – in the trade agreement with China, which is probably going to implode anyway, but China, we can now, China can now send us uh, a f basically uh, prepared produce. So in the past, all of the produce that was made, the chicken had to be made here. Then there was a stipulation where we could send our birds, believe it or not, to China, or they could even even cultivate, hatch the uh, the chickens and slaughter them, and then process them in a processing facility, and then send them here without having to, number one, specify they come from China. And number two, the only safety requirement would be the FDA goes over once, inspects the facility, and then never inspects it again. And I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with, with the FDA? What is wrong with the fact that 
China can't even ensure the safety of dog treats. Every Chinese manufactured dog treat was pulled off the shelves because it killed dogs. This is going back about 10 years ago, and now they want to bring human food here? The FDA's mission should be food and drug safety. Never in a million years should have been, should cigars or tobacco or any other products been housed and moved into the FDA. But as you said, once they get their tentacles in, the bureaucracy, you can't eliminate it. People never get fired. Mitch Zeller, finally head of the FDA, Scott Gottlieb, who was very pro-cigar, wrote an op-ed in the New York Post a couple of years before he became the uh, the head of the uh, the FDA, the commissioner of the FDA, said cigars, it's a waste of time for the FDA to be dealing with premium cigars. Kids don't smoke them. They're smoked in moderation. It's a waste of time. What happens when he becomes commissioner? Nothing. It's ridiculous. No, no truer words are spoken. And I, I think it dramatizes how the bureaucracy is even more powerful than the commissioner, which is another pathetic commentary. I mean, you've got these hundreds and hundreds of, of employees that have their prohibitionist political agenda, and there's so little oversight that Congress can afford them. That's really the heart and soul where the battle needs to take place. And even allies of ours in Congress who have consistently voiced this concern in committee hearings, especially folks like Senator Rubio, who's done more for our messaging in the last 12 months than many have done in the last several years. Uh, It proves how difficult it is even for the United States Congress to reverse the course of action in the bureaucracy. Glenn, I want to uh, switch gears here because you announced approximately a month ago that you were going to step down as the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America. I think you've served for, what, 10 years, 12 years? Uh, Going on a dozen, as I'm fond of saying. uh, I've had marriages not last this long. (laughs) I hear Jill in the background, by the way, (laughs) uh, making a comment about that. (laughs) Everything's good with that one. (laughs) So 12 years, and you announced that uh, right around Thanksgiving, uh, about six months from now, after the election, you are going to step down. And really, 12 years, you came actually from lobbying in the state of Virginia and into a new role with the Cigar Rights of America. And at the time, the Cigar Association of America did a nice job at the time of lobbying, but it was a very different political climate. And in 12 years, things have changed dramatically. What are you most proud of in those 12 years? And and where do you see the next uh, 12 years if you were to make a prognostication about where you see the cigar industry? Well, fortunately, people are always going to smoke cigars. The question is with what level of, of freedom? You know, the day we put a half a million petitions in the United States Congress saying that the industry deserves a, a bureaucratic exemption from these types of regulations was a milestone. Putting 25,000 petitions into the White House uh, the, under the previous administration saying, listen, don't treat us the same way. Uh, working on things like smoking bans in the city of New Orleans and Fort Worth, Texas, and giving testimony on cigar bars in Lincoln, Nebraska, or trouncing through a blizzard for a tax cap in Albany for uh, a tax cap in the state of New York. It's been all over the board. I calculated it the other day. It was like 156 cigar events in 27 countries, 536 congressional briefings, 550 news releases. Uh, You know, but the thing I'm probably the most proud of is the fact that in the last decade, uh, we've we've, uh, assembled a 50-state coalition. When CRA began, it began with a freedom tour of a group of manufacturers doing events, events in New York City, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Minneapolis, and Orlando, Florida. 
And it's grown from that city tour in late 2008 to now a 50-state coalition of consumers. Is it enough? Absolutely not. But it's a foundation that the industry can build upon. As for the crystal ball in the future, there's going to be ways for the industry to survive, but it's going to have to be diligent. And if Congress or the White House takes a hard turn to the left, you know, we've proven, we have proven that we have got friends on the left and the right. I did an interview with the Wall Street Journal several years ago where I said, listen, we've got the only piece of legislation in Congress that's got Charlie Rangel and Michelle Bachman on the same bill, which must mean one thing. We are right. And I think we can continue to build those types of bipartisan coalitions to get our message across. Listen, stalemates, delays are good, but we need sustainable, predictable regulatory relief. We need to watch these smoking bans and tax measures at the state level. I just read this morning that we're going to be diving into this where Colorado is throwing a dramatic tax increase to a public referendum, which is a terribly difficult thing to, to overcome. And it's, it's a political cop-out for any legislature. That same threat exists in Arizona, the home of dozens upon dozens upon dozens of cigar shops in Phoenix area. That, those types of political dynamics are what the industry is going to have to keep in mind, be mindful of and diligent with in order for the industry to be uh, sustainable and profitable in the future. We're, I'm going to quote my friend Jorge Armenteros up in New Jersey. We're living in a renaissance of cigar making. To maintain that renaissance of some of the greatest cigars in history being on the shelf of your local cigar shop, we're going to have to continuously watch and be mindful of the political dynamic in this country. Glenn, I remember those organizing uh, uh, meetings early on. The one in Orlando was, I think, at the top of one of the downtown buildings, uh, one of the uh, one of the the office buildings. And Jeff Borshowitz organized it, and his wife Tanya. And I think at the time there was most every manufacturer. There's a whole. There's at least a hundred people. We were all smoking cigars, and I remember that uh, early on because I remember a number of us went out uh, to have some cocktails and libations afterward. And from there, it spawned into the Cigar Rights of America, and certainly nobody could have predicted the battles that would have to be fought. But you've done an outstanding job, uh, not only on a professional level, as a personal level. A longtime friend, we've developed a great relationship. We've got changes at the Cigar Dave Show, as you know, as we end our terrestrial syndicated radio show on uh, the end of the month, June 27th. But our daily Cigar Day podcast and Bold Alpha podcast will kick in on July 1. And Glenn, I know between now and November, we'll have you back on the Cigar Day podcast to uh, make sure we keep all of our listeners and cigar connoisseurs and alpha males properly apprised of the latest developments in the war against the enemies of pleasure in Washington and across the country. So as always, Glenn, we thank you and we appreciate you coming on with us. Well, thank you, and thank you for helping to spread the word over all of these years. You know, I can say this candidly, and I want the industry to hear this. Every time you run our CRA ad on every Saturday show, we get a bump, we get a surge. Your listeners respond. They're all warriors against the nanny state, and we thank you for helping us to spread the word. Glenn, as always, stay well, and we will speak soon. Glenn Loop, Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America. Now, Glenn, you can go on your boat ride. I know you're uh, you're uh, up in uh, somewhere in Virginia for a college reunion, so now you can jump on the boat and, and enjoy uh, the Chesapeake. I wish I was there with you. Thank you, General. Come up here and join us sometime. There's a landing we'll do ship for nearby. Sh- Absolutely. We'll do it for sure. Glenn Loop <laughs> of the Cigar Rights of America. Hey, before we take a timeout, uh, want to remind you that the Officers Club selection for June 
is going to ship out next week. It is the Macanudo Inspirado Sampler. We've got three fantastic cigars in the Macanudo Inspirado line, including the brand-new Macanudo Inspirado Green, which is being officially launched this month. You, as members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, are amongst the first in the nation to get the new Macanudo Inspirado Green. It is a very unique cigar. It combines a velvety Brazilian Arapiraca wrapper, an earthy Colombian Carmen Cubita wrapper, with some sweet cedar Dominican Piloto fillers. It produces a very rich, memorable, medium-bodied cigar experience. The packaging looks great. The cigar looks... I love the Brazilian Arapiraca wrapper. Whether it's the Brazilian Matafina tobaccos or the Arapiraca, Brazil grows just a hidden gem of incredible cigar tobaccos. And that Arapiraca wrapper is a beauty. Tough to get. Not easy. So the new Macanudo Inspirado Green featured in the June Officers Club selection. Also the Macanudo Inspirado White. A nice, complex, sweet nuanced cigar, Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper leaf, notes of mild to medium spice, medium, mild to medium bodied in flavor, and then the Macanudo Inspirado Orange, one of my favorites, unlike anything else in the Macanudo portfolio. Sophisticated, medium bodied, a very luxurious taste experience, notes of hazelnut caramel cedar it's a beautiful medium-bodied cigar so the june 2020 officers club selection including the macanudo inspirado white the macanudo inspirado orange and the brand new macanudo inspirado green is coming your way if you are a member if you're not a member and you want to get in for future selections every month you get three fabulous cigars some new cigars some oldies but goodies nice variety make sure you join in time by if you want to join for the july selection and thereafter Get in by the end of June. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you three fabulous cigars shipped in a Ziploc pouch. You cannot go wrong. And that will continue as we shift from our terrestrial radio show to the Cigar Dave podcast and the Bold Alpha podcast. And by the way, if you have not done so already, go to the Google Play Store. Go to the Apple Podcast uh, Store and make sure you do a search for Cigar Dave or your, your favorite podcast aggregator could be spotify could be iheart whatever the aggregator you use do a search for cigar dave make sure you subscribe and every episode as they come every day will automatically be delivered to you you don't even have to think about it you'll get a little message saying "Bing, cigar dave podcast has been not downloaded and then you get the pleasure of hearing me every day could be for three minutes could be for 10 minutes could be for five minutes whatever the case is Anything newsworthy on a day-to-day basis, we will get to you. And every day, we will do a national, international cigar litation and libation ceremony on every show. So that's great for me. I get five to seven litation and libation ceremonies up from one. You can't go wrong. The final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Dave. (laughs) 
The Cigar Dave Officers Club takes pride in featuring cigars that nobody else in the country gets, that you, as a member of the Officers Club, experience first. And I'm pleased to announce for June that one of the cigars in the Macanudo Inspirado Sampler is a cigar that is being released to you first. The new Macanudo Inspirado Green. It is a medium, robust, full-flavored cigar that features a very delicious, tasty, complex Brazilian Arapiraca wrapper with Indonesian binder and Colombian and Dominican fillers. The Macanudo Inspirado White, if you want a cigar that tends to be more mild to medium and creamy, Perfect. The Macanudo Inspirado Orange, more medium to full in body with a Honduran wrapper. Join the Officers Club today and get fantastic selections like the Macanudo Inspirado Sampler. CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club for $22.95 per month. You get three great cigars shipped directly to you. Join today. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigar is. It's tough, but I'm going to go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent, and smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I got to tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree. But guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. America's Alpha Male with Nads of Steel. The General Cigar Cigar Dave. Dave. Well, on the tales of our in-depth discussion with Glenn Loop of the Cigar Rights of America, talking about the founding of the Cigar Rights of America about 12, 13 years ago when they organized three meetings across the country, different cities, one of them Orlando, which I attended and remember vividly, remember that very well. But this is kind of interesting. There is a similar road show getting several cigar manufacturers together in the wake of the cancellation of the Premium Cigar Association annual convention in Vegas. Rocky Patel Premium Cigars, Oliva Cigar, Alec Bradley and Crown Heads, have joined together announcing they are scheduling a traveling miniature trade show that will stop in 15 cities. And as Rocky said, we're going to bring the show to the retailers. Dubbed the Traveling Road Show, the event will start in Rocky's uh, hometown headquarters of Naples, Florida on July 13th, conclude in Stamford, Connecticut on July 24th. So a... A very, very quick tour, an 11-day tour, and they will take it by reservation only. And the companies will begin accepting reservations on June 19th. So what's interesting is Rocky said that with the cancellation of the Premium Cigar Association convention, they wanted to do something. These four companies wanted to do something, especially the hard times retailers are having. So they decided that these four primarily family-owned companies 
would go on the road and they would take their wares, take their cigars, their samples directly to the retailers in various cities. And the, the new products will be featured, some only available to retailers via the Traveling Roadshow. And here are the cities that, uh, that are going to be participating in this. It will start July 13th, 14th in Naples, July 14th, Pittsburgh, July 15th, Kansas City, Missouri, July 15th, 16th, Atlanta, the 15th, 16th, Chicago, July 16th, Charlotte, July 17th, 18th, Indianapolis, 17th, 18th, Orange County, California, People's Republic of California, July 17th and 18th, Washington, D.C., the 18th and 19th, Glendale, Arizona, which is Phoenix, then July 20th and 21st, Boston, July 21st and 22nd, they'll be in Dallas, Houston, and then July 23rd and 24th, Philadelphia and Stanford. So it's not going to be like they get on a bus and they're going to go from one city to the other. They'll have their reps, and I'm sure that we'll probably see Rocky, Nish, Nimish uh, from Rocky Patel attending some events. We'll see Mike Condor, John Huber of of uh, Oliva, or correction of Crown Heads attend some events. We may see Alan Rubin, Alec and Bradley Rubin, may see Ralph Montero, may see some of the other uh, uh, people from from Alec Bradley attend these various events. But I think it's a great way to market, especially in a very unique time. Now, talking about Glenn also, with his article about what's going on in Vegas, an effort to enact smoking bans and prohibitions in Vegas casinos in Detroit, which is uh, located in Michigan, the home to the wonderful governor of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Wilmer. Oh, you betcha. She, she talks like this. Hi. Now, here in Michigan, as we played in the first hour, don't worry. If you need to get a haircut, you can Google it, and you can try to cut your own hair. It's got that really hard Midwest accent. Well, the Michigan Gaming Board released earlier this week a list of minimum reopening guidelines for the Detroit area casinos, the MGM Grand Detroit, the Motor City Casino Hotel, which we did a live show about 15 years from, and the Greektown Casino Hotel. That they include a limit of 15% of the full capacity, temperature checks for all employees and patrons, smoking will be banned on casino floors, though casinos may provide an alternative area for smoking. The poker rooms will remain closed, now, here's what's going to be interesting. Does this temporary smoking ban become permanent? Will we see, again, what did Rahm Emanuel say, former mayor of Chicago and uh, the chief of staff to President Barack Obama, never let a good crisis go to waste? And we're seeing many of these Democrats, mayors and governors, using the Chinese Wuhan pandemic, using that crisis to enact authoritarian regulations, rules, executive orders. Michigan, same thing. It's okay to go and protest all you want. You can destroy a church, but you can't pray at a church. You can loot a store, but you can't shop at a store. And it's the same thing. You can, you, you can break into a, a salon, as they say, but you can't go to a salon and get your hair cut. It's ridiculous. So the question is, will... Michigan will Detroit use the Chinese Wuhan virus pandemic to permanently ban smoking on the casino floors. We will certainly keep an eye. Don't forget two 
editions left of the Cigar Dave Show, the terrestrial syndicated radio edition. Then we go to the Cigar Dave and Bold Alpha Daily Podcast July 1. Make sure you go to uh, your favorite iTunes or your favorite uh, uh, provider of podcasts and subscribe. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. And screw the enemies of pleasure. <laughs>